Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, we'll talk about how the White House doesn't care about spending reductions, coffee being a source of global warming, parents in New Jersey using the rules to their advantage, and we'll have crying climate alarmists next on Living with Liberty. We have $31 trillion in debt and a battle brewing over raising the debt ceiling, yet the White House doesn't think that reducing spending is where their focus should be. No, White House Council of Economic Advisors member Jared Bernstein thinks the focus should be on IRS enforcement to make sure that the 1% pay their fair share. So instead of being fiscally responsible, the White House would rather focus on raising revenue, basically squeezing blood from a turnip at this point. The Making those the, the, that 1% pay their fair share isn't going to close the budget gap. It's not going to keep us from raising the debt ceiling. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody should pay their taxes, pay their fair share. I'm not arguing that they shouldn't. What I am arguing is this uh, idea that we need to actually just focus on stealing people's money versus reducing the bloated spending in Washington. Now, here's the problem, other problem I should say I have with this. It's been the likes of Joe Biden when he was in the Senate that had a hand in setting the current tax code that's full of loopholes and special breaks for the wealthy. And then they want to go, Joe Biden wants to go and say they need to pay their fair share. What, which is it? You're the idiot that gave them all these tax breaks to begin with. You're the ones that signed on for the loopholes in the super complicated tax code that the wealthy have an army of accountants and lawyers to look it over, take advantage of, and not pay their fair share, whatever that means and whatever that is. It, this is really to the point where we need a flat tax. Everybody pays the same regardless. It, there's too many loopholes to... Get rid of all the loopholes, and, and you don't need anything but a flat tax. Our tax code should fit on an index card. Now, Biden whines and complains about the rich not paying their fair share, but he's the, been part of the problem in Washington that has set the tax code up as it currently sits. Him and Republicans both. I'm not giving Republicans a pass here. They're, but they're not the ones complaining about the 1% not paying their fair share. That's Joe Biden. So he's the one that gets called out here. He set the system up. He was in, he, he was in Washington forever. Uh, you, you can't just all of a sudden say, well, they got to pay their fair share. You're the dummy that set it up. Fix it. Don't just try and squeeze more money out of it. Fix it so people pay their fair share. That's not fixing it. Extra IRS agents aren't fixing it. That's not fixing the problem. That's strong-arming people into the behavior you want them to, to have. Our officials need to focus on reducing the unsustainable 
amount of spending in Washington, D.C., the unsustainable amount of spending of the federal government. They need to focus on reforming the tax code to remove the loopholes. Like I said, it should fit on an index card. Everybody pays 15%, right? Let's see where the, the revenue curve is. And that ends up, I think, as I've done some research on this over the you know past few years here, it's about 15%, 15 to 18%, depending who you, who you look at or uh, what curves you're looking at or, or uh, what analysis you're, you're you know, taking a look at here. So it, it, it's simple. This, this, it's simple math. Why do we have a loophole for subsidies for, uh, well, if you don't, you know, if, if you give this much of money away, you can, whatever. I Fix it. There, there's no reason to have such a complicated tax code. Now, there's a reason why there wasn't a national income tax included in the original writing of the Constitution, and that's because the federal government wasn't intended to be the bloated mess it is today, giving away money to social programs, giving away money to endless subsidies, giving away money to other other countries for wars we shouldn't even be involved in, giving money away to other countries for stupid crap like gender studies. The federal government wasn't meant to be giving our money away like this or to, uh, to enact endless subsidies. It was there for a specific purpose. We've covered it here before, about four purposes. National defense, regulate trade. That's what it was there for, and it didn't need to wring money out of the people to do it. It was funded by tariffs on imports and other excise taxes because it was meant to have limited, uh, limited operations. And those limited operations are outlined in the Constitution. We don't need more IRS enforcement. That, that's the last thing we need. What we need is a reduction in the size and scope of the federal government. We need them put back in their constitutional box where they belong. We don't need endless subsidies. We don't need social programs that don't work and are going broke looking at you, Social Security and Medicare. And I mean, this this uh, uh, Bernstein Cat in the article I'll post in the in the show notes in the in the description box points out how Medicare they negotiated lower rates so now Medicare spending is going to be down. No, well it might be, but the rest of our costs are going up that have private insurance because those drug companies and and pharmacies and whoever else are going to charge more to the people not on Medicare. These people are so freaking stupid. It and. As a, as a country, we buy this crap. No, Medicare, oh, government spending will be down. Well, yours is going up if you've got private insurance. Uh, come on. At what point do we as a nation, we as a people, we as a taxpayer, look at this and say, no, that's wrong. You guys are lying. Fix it. We need to reduce the size and scope of federal government. We need to reduce the spending there. And to the credit of, of the 20 holdouts on uh, electing uh, McCarthy speaker, we will hopefully get that because part of the rules are an even swap at a minimum. 
If they want to increase spending somewhere, there has to be a cut somewhere else. A balanced budget, imagine that. But not. let's not stop there. Let's cut more so we can start paying off that $31 trillion of debt that we're never going to pay off anyway. At least we can start making good on it and stop this endless raising of the debt ceiling. Cut spending, cut government programs, cut government employment. That's what needs to be done here, not going after a small subset of the population that Washington tax code writers have catered to for years. Yeah, They're really barking up the wrong tree here. The source of the problem is our overcomplicated tax codes, not people taking advantage of those loopholes that these Washington uh, representatives, our representatives, put forth in the bills that were signed into law. All right, moving on. Coffee is the latest climate change boogeyman. Interesting, right? Coffee. Who would have thought? Now, the climate alarmists are calling for people to drink less coffee to reduce their carbon footprint. According to a New York Post article titled, People Should Drink Less Less Coffee to Combat Climate Change, study says by Hannah Panrek, A Canadian study analyzed coffee's contribution to climate change, and their big recommendation was for people to moderate their consumption of coffee as part of the solution. Drink less coffee will save the planet. Drink less coffee, there'll be less carbon emissions, and just the stupid rolls on with this stuff. I, I, I I guess I bring it up, maybe you'll laugh at it, maybe you'll get mad at it, I don't know. Just now it's coffee, the next thing you know it'll be Orange Tang and Ovaltine and whoever else knows. They'll come up with something. According to a study, Nesquik powder chocolate milk is causing climate. I Just stupid. You know it's out there, too. I guarantee you it's out there. All right, so according to the study, it said this. Limiting your contribution to climate change requires an adapted diet, and coffee is no exception. Choosing a mode of coffee preparation that emits less greenhouse gases and moderate, uh, moderating your consumption are part of the solution. That, that just sounds straight out, like straight out of a dystopian propaganda-type movie, right? I mean, I think back, I don't remember, I think it was uh, Judge Dredd or something. They had the, the robot with the, the food, uh, recycled food in it, and they, it's going down, spouting that kind, of, um, <laughs> that kind of nonsense about, oh, yeah, eat recycled food. It's... Uh, it's good for you. <laughs> All right. I can't believe some of this stuff. Anyway, it's the kind of world we're living in. So what is this? What's this statement say by this um, that was put out with this study? Well, this is just code for shut up, eat your crickets, and you can't have any coffee to wash them down. That's what this is code for. And don't think it's coming. This is a Canadian study. I'm sure Trudeau, for my Canadian listeners, I'm sure Trudeau's already considering this. Eat your crickets, but nah, you can't wash them down with, with any coffee. You can't have the coffee. So what is this? We, they're just trying to get us to all bow down to the, at the altar of the climate alarmist. That's what this is. I, it's stupid. You, you, could, you can make a case for any sort of food manufacturing because it goes through a process. It goes, it's processed from picking or slaughtering to, to factory to packaging to getting made in your home. There, there's there's greenhouse gases emitted all along the way. 
this is just something else that they want them. It's really what this is. It's really a trial balloon to, to float it out there to see what it's it's going to get, right? What kind of play is it going to get? If it doesn't get anything, you'll you'll hear it backed off and nobody will mention it again. But someone picks it up, there'll be there'll there'll be a big push for coffee to be taken off of store shelves. Watch, it's it's going to go you know, one of two ways. And I don't think this is not <laughs> coffee. Seen, seen a post in the morning on social media. I don't think anybody's reducing their coffee intake. So I think this is going to go nowhere, but we'll cover it anyway, because it's just absurd and stupid. So you got the, you, you have to bow down. You bow down at the altar of the climate alarmist. Pretty soon these clowns are going to come out with a study that says we must all stop breathing or reduce the number of breaths we take a day to combat climate change. And oh, by the way, oh, we told you to eat crickets and natural stuff. Don't eat the beans anymore because farting is uh, contributing to climate change. We've got to reduce everybody's farts. And that'll be the next study that comes out. Now, the thing about this is, and I've said this before on the on the show, I agree. We got we we have to do all we can to protect our environment. That's just the way it is. Nobody wants to live in a toxic waste dump. No, nobody. I don't. Do you know? I don't think anybody out there listening does. So yeah, let's take care of the planet. Let's be smart and but let's balance things, right? If we have the technology to clean uh, emissions from plants and cars and everything else, fine, cool. Let's do it, right? We have to stop with this climate as a religion. It has to stop. It's ridiculous that we continue to bow down or be told we need to bow down to the to, to these climate alarmists. It's ridiculous. And you've seen how it's changed over the years. We've gone from global warming. I mean, way back it was we're heading for another ice age to acid rain to global warming. Now it's climate change because the globe actually isn't warming all that much. They tell you it is, but... Who's to say that's not part of the natural cycle of things? And, oh, by the way, you know, rarely, if ever, do they mention other more impactful events to our climate that might be changing it. Like, oh, I don't know, solar activity, periods of lower solar activity where we're not getting as much of the sun's radiation heating the planet. We've got natural cycles of ocean and air currents. And... We've got repeated studies that they never mention, like those done by NOAA saying, uh, actually, hurricanes aren't getting more numerous or stronger or more deadly. Oops, but we're not going to publicize that. We're going to make you go look for that. They don't ever mention that stuff. Why? Because it's counter to the narrative. Now, even better to this whole thing, even an even better point of this is coffee, coffee has, has health benefits. Yeah, it has health benefits. Now, according, uh, according to the piece, studies released last year found that drinking one to two cups of coffee a day may benefit heart health. Great. The American College of Cardiology found in a study released in March of 2022 that coffee was associated with a reduced risk of heart disease and dangerous heart rhythms. Now... This begs the question, was the climate study aware of the ones done about the health benefits of coffee? I don't know. I, it didn't say. I, I could venture a guess to say I doubt it. But if they were, I don't think it would have mattered because climate worship becomes, uh, comes before your health. That, that's how it is. We've illustrated that on this show before, numerous times. The climate and stopping, stopping, stopping 
global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it, hoax, climate hoax, is and should come above your own health. What this is meant to do is to brainwash you and get you to change your behavior to what is preferred by the elite overlords or those that think they're elite overlords. You peasants eat your crickets and we'll still have the steak and lobster. Cut back on your coffee while we fly in our private jets, drinking as much coffee as we want. You know that's what's, you know they're not serious because that's how it'll go. We, we see the likes of John Kerry flying all over in his private jet and then making excuses why he's not flying commercial, right? He's, his, his private jet's putting out more emissions than most people, uh, your average household does in 10 years. The best thing we can do is tune this stuff out and live our lives as we wish. Live it with balance, right? Again, take care of what we've got. Take care of the planet. Let's not try to degrade it, right? Use as much renewable stuff as we can. Do all the good stuff that, that you know, keeps our, our planet uh, in good shape for future generations, for our use and beyond, right? But also, drink all the coffee you want. It's actually good for you. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered, so if you could, please do me a favor. Whatever platform you are listening or viewing on, please hit that subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published, and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, the next story I have here is from the AP, and it is titled, March for Life Eyes Congress for Post-Row Abortion Limits by Ashraf Khalil and Calvin Woodward. All right. Right off the bat, this article, these two activists, Ashtray and Calvin, whatever, have to throw it out there right in the first damn sentence of the, the, the article, of the piece, that the Supreme Court dismantled the constitutional right to abortion. There never was a constitutional right to abortion. That was the whole ruling of Dobbs. It, it was never guaranteed constitutionally, that you could go have an abortion. There never was an amendment passed guaranteeing the right to abortion. That's what a constitutional right is. There has to be either an amendment or it was expressly written in by the founders. That is a constitutional right. The right to kill a baby kind of flies in the face of of, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, the, the whole life part. So that's why the founders didn't put it in there. Dude, don't you think if if they they felt like it, they would have written that in? Oh, you can, yeah, go ahead, kill your baby if you want. Yeah, they would have. But life is valued. Life was valued when the Constitution is written. Life should still be valued today. There's, there's no constitutional right to kill a living being. There, there's, it's not. There never was an amendment passed to it, so it was not a constitutional right. The decision was rightfully kicked back to the states as a 10th Amendment states' rights issue because abortion is not expressly outlined in the Constitution, leaving that decision to the states, to the individual states. People can bitch about all they want. Oh, well, we got a patchwork of laws and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's part of federalism where the federal government should be weaker than it is right now and the states having uh, control over what happens within their borders. That's federalism. And it worked pretty damn well. Now, of course, we can't rely on these activists who think they're journalists to actually know anything, though, right? That, that's why they say that. It's either they know and they, they're just parroting the narrative or they just actually don't know anything. I tend toward to, to believe the latter. 
Now, here's another piece, though. And some of you, again, you can tell, and I've said this before, I'm pro-life, but there's a legal aspect to this as well that we need to keep in mind in relation to the Constitution. Now, you you can disagree with me on this all you want, fine, but there is a legal aspect here is as, as, as easy for me to say, as abhorrent as abortion is, there's a legal, uh, a, a legal ramification here, if you want to call it that, that we need to be cognizant of. And that the March for Life activists in this article need to keep in mind. And that's the 10th Amendment piece of it. If Dobbs said that uh, there's no constitutional right to abortion, it gets kicked back to the states where it belongs. The same thing is true for banning abortion. I'm sorry, I get it. It's a moral issue. I get it, I understand it, but the framework of our Constitution is that this issue, since it's not expressly stated in the Constitution, is a state's issue. They get to choose if they're going to take up a a law or whatever on it or not. So these activists, these March for Life activists, as much as I agree with them, need to keep that in mind as well. And the piece notes this about the March for Life activists. It says, some movement leaders also hope to plant seeds in Congress for a potential federal abortion restriction down the line. Here's the thing. I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again. At a federal level, it will take a constitutional amendment, whether it's a ban on abortion, whether it's to enable it in some form or fashion across the nation. It needs to be a constitutional amendment in order to not have the legislation running afoul of the 10th Amendment and states' rights. That is the legal, uh, the, the legality of the situation here. Agree with it or not, If we're going to look at the Constitution in an originalist intent, that is what that means. That's what, to me, why Dobbs was struck down, because the Supreme Court said there's no constitutional right to this. It was based on flawed logic and precedent for 50 years. Grateful it was struck down. But conversely, we've got to remember that as well when we go to want a ban. These March for Life folks need to be first knocking down the, the doors of the, their representatives at the state level, if there's still abortion legal in the state, whatever state it is, and tell them they want it gone. Uh, and if they want it at a federal level, a ban or restrictions, then they need to say we need a constitutional amendment that gets voted on and added so there's an express right constitutional right to either the ban or abortion, whatever. I'm on the ban side, 100%. But that's what needs to happen here. Because any legislation that comes down from uh, from Congress is now under Dobbs is going to get challenged. Anything, and it's going to work both ways, if you ask me. It'll work, uh, again, if they're trying to enact some sort of nationwide uh, federal law for abortion, and it's going to work if there's some nationwide federal law banning or restricting abortion. It's going to work both ways. There's going to be legal uh, challenges to it. There's going to be, it's going to be tied up in court forever. It's going to get expensive. 
we're going to have more tax money passed away down the legal uh, drain here defending something that clearly, in my mind, needs to be uh, needs to go through the constitutional amendment process. Like I said, the pro-life crowd here, if they're not calling for a constitutional amendment, they're barking up the wrong tree at this point. You can't just go to Congress and say we're planting seeds. It, it doesn't work that way. Now, in light of the Dobbs decision, any law coming from the federal level, as I said, it's going to be met with legal challenges on the constitutionality of it. We have uh, probably the most originalist intent court, Supreme Court, certainly in my lifetime, right? So they're going to look at that through that lens. Is there a constitution? Is it expressly written in the constitution? Not is it, can I interpret some part of the constitution, right? Because that's how we ended up with Roe. It was an interpretation, a bad interpretation of the constitution and what the, uh, um, you know, what the 14th amendment, I believe it was meant. They're going to look at it through that way. So we need to, if we're going to go at this, we need to go at it the right way. And that's a constitutional amendment. It's important to key, is it, I should say, is it important to keep an eye on the legislators in Washington? Of course, we need to, because these clowns will try and pass something. And we need to make sure they're not going to try and pass any legislation that's going to inhibit the state's ability to govern themselves. And that includes abortion. But these groups need to realize that if they're going to make, uh, kind of make any progress, they need to get in their state legislators' ear for one in the states where abortion is legal. I know it's, it's like going to be talking to a brick wall because the states where it's legal are, you know, bluest of the blue liberal states. So it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen overnight. But as we saw with Roe, persistence pays off or I should say Dobbs, persistence pays off. So, yeah, you might not see the fruits of your labor now, but you keep getting more people to your cause. Eventually you cause enough, uh, put enough pressure on these these representatives that they'll listen and bring at least bring forth some bills that to, to be voted on, right? In the case of here talking about abortion, they'll bring forth some bills to eliminate abortion. So persistence pays off. So we need to keep in their ear. We need to make sure we're working this at the state level. If you are listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit the Rumble or Thumbs Up button. The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. Okay, the next story I have here is from the Epic Times. It's titled... Parents Use Inclusion Rules to Remove LGBT Symbols from School by Jackson Elliott. Exactly. This is what I'm talking about. This right here, this story is an illustration of what I'm talking about. And I've had people admonish me, oh, do you know about Solinsky? He's disgusting. I can't. Why are you referencing Solinsky? Because his rules work. And those are the rules the left plays by. And if you're not going to play by those rules... Get ready to lose. Period. Why wouldn't, if those are the rules on the table, why wouldn't you use them? If the rules of poker were you can stuff four aces up your sleeve, why wouldn't you do it? You'd be the only one at the table not doing it. The same thing here. If the rules set forth, if they're using Alinsky rules, why wouldn't you on the right use Alinsky rules? I don't get why people get, get up in arms about, well, Saul Alinsky was a bad guy. Yeah, he's. It's no friend of mine. 
I don't agree with the guy on much anything, but his rules are, well, they sure work pretty damn good. Yes, here, perfect. Use Alinsky rule four. That's what these parents did. Make the enemy live up to its own rules. Now, according to the piece, parents at New Jersey's Long Valley Middle School went to the school board. So they've been working with the school board and complaining about this. They, they stated that putting up signage that represents only sexual minority groups is not inclusive. Yes. Bravo. Long story short here, little background. I'll link the article like I always do, but there, and you've probably seen these in schools around your community. I know I've seen them in ours here. Long story short, there's LGBT safe space signs, stickers, whatever, around the school, right? You go to classrooms, whatever. You know, you've got alphabets, uh, safe space signs up on, on the doors. You can come in here. But here's the kicker. There were not signs designating safe spaces for other groups. You know, the other 99% of the population. That's not inclusive, is it? One group gets a special safe space, but others don't? Perfect. Bravo to these parents for going in and saying, hey, we can use this rule against us. We have to make them live up to their own rules. Olinsky rule four, make them live, make the enemy live up to its own rules. The story is also an illustration of the lack of logic displayed by the left. It kind of goes something like this. Let's have an inclusion policy. But in order to have that inclusion policy, we have to exclude other groups by creating space, uh, safe spaces for just our pet particular group. And then we don't have you know, everybody else, oh, they're fine. We're not going to have space, safe spaces for other, uh, other groups outside our pet project group here. That's how it always goes. It's inclusion by exclusion. And these parents are like, enough. We don't need this political crap in our school. You're either going to put up safe spaces for everybody or we're going to take down the alphabet safe spaces. Now, board member John Holland, or Holly, sorry, Holly had this to say about it about these parents. They're saying that these stickers are safe spaces for some kids, but our view was the classrooms in our schools need to be safe spaces for all kids. Yes, absolutely. I don't know John Holly. I don't know his politics, nor do I actually care. I agree with him on this, right? Because they put these, these safe spaces up, safe space stickers up, and they say this is a safe space for, for uh, LGBT students. But what if a hetero student student walks in there and sees that? Well, I don't feel very safe in here. It's not a safe space for me. I don't feel very welcome here. Our schools need to be a safe environment where kids go to learn. Not some politicized cesspool creating ex- exclusive safe spaces for a preferred political group of students at the expense of others. That That's not what the school's there for. The school is there to teach Students reading, writing, and arithmetic to get them prepared to be contributors in the real world. It's not there to teach them about 10,859 genders or to create activists. That's not the function of a school. Explore it on your own time. That, that's a family values thing, if you ask me. Talk about it at home. Schools are to be apolitical. And I... Again, I don't care whatever your 
preference is, I don't care. When people care is when you jam it down our throats and shove it in in our faces and tell us we have to genuflect. No, that doesn't work that way. I Do what you want. Behind closed doors, who you like, don't like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me until you start jamming it in my face. And then there's a problem. Kids are in school to learn and to learn things in an apolitical way. School should be an open market of differing ideas, not a place where kids are force-fed political ideology and told they have to bow down to a certain group because, you know, they're part of some oppressor group. Ridiculous. Good for these parents for standing up, making the enemy live up to its own rules and getting political ideology out of their school. All right, wrapping up for today. Apparently, the climate alarmists don't like that Elon Musk is allowing differing points of view on Twitter as it relates to their precious climate change. <laughs> this is this story is a real beauty. I love this story. Now, according to an Epic Times piece by Brian Young titled Climate Activists Panic, that Twitter under Musk allows more dissenting views on global warming, Climate Action Against Disinformation, or CAAD, released a study accusing Musk of allowing misinformation about the climate crisis to spread on the platform. Oh, you know what? Listen, can you hear it? Do you hear that? It's, it's the heavy sobs and the bouncing off of padded walls. That, that's what you hear. They, they can't take it. These people know that they're scamming us with this climate hoax nonsense. And now that it's not being suppressed on the dirty bird anymore, they're mad. Well, how are we going to... How are we going to brainwash people if we can't have control of the narrative? How are we going to brainwash people if there's differing points of view? We can't have that. Twitter, you got to suppress this. They can't handle the fact that their misinformation, their own misinformation, their own omissions uh, of information is getting countered with facts and alternative points of view. Am I going to say that the, uh, the, the alternative points of view are all true? No, they're not. Truth is always in the middle, but at least they're getting out there. People can decide for themselves. These leftist activists think they are better than you. That's what this is about. They live in a world of dogma that whatever their little pet project is, that is their religion, and that shall not be challenged under penalty of a two-year-old-like temper tantrum from them. Now, according to the piece, the authors uh, said of the study, said that not enough of the content was labeled as misinformation by Twitter's new management and claim that it could not find a comparable trend or uptick in the hashtag climate scam trend on other platforms. Yeah, because the other platforms are still suppressing and censoring ideas. That's why Elon Musk came and opened Twitter up. Facebook, you're not going to find it there because Zuckerberg is still, and his minions, armies of fact checkers and whatever else are still suppressing that information. Here, here's the thing, and here's the thing for these leftist activists. It's not up to Twitter to determine what is misinformation. Because the moment they start editorializing people's posts, they become a publisher, and they should lose all Section 230 protections. They basically become the New York Slimes or Washington Compost at that point when they start censoring and editing and, and uh, deleting people's or shadow banning people's posts. Twitter shouldn't be labeling anything as misinformation. That's not their job. 
Like it or not, it's a public square of discussion, and those ideas should flow freely. And we, the people, get to decide what's good information and what's bad, and we need to be responsible in that. I'm not absolving us. I mean, there, there's people out there that you've heard me harp on it many times on the show. It's not that hard to go and verify information when it's at your fingertips. We need to be responsible and do that, right? And we really need to in light of knowing that big tech only shows us what they want us to see. So it's not up to Twitter. We, the people, get to decide what's good information and what is bad, not some snowflake in a nap pod. Now, the other interesting piece here, this you'll find really interesting as, as we wrap up here today. The other interesting piece here is who funds the CAAD? Because in order to understand the outcomes of these studies, in order to understand the outcomes of these narratives, we need to follow the money. So, CAAD is funded by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. That sounds like some leftist bullcrap, doesn't it? We're the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. All right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. It's a think tank. And... Side note here, why do all these horrible ideas come from places where their main idea is to think? Their main job, I should say, is to think. It's a, I'm a think tank, but I'm going to come up with a bunch of stupid ideas. That's how these things are. Washington's full of them, right? Anyway, so the Institute for Strategic Dialogue is funded heavily by who? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh... Now it becomes clear why there's all this hand-wringing over Twitter not labeling posts, by uh, Twitter not putting a banner on something that said, this is misinformation. Now it becomes clear why there's this hand-wringing over it, why there had to be a study over this. The posts that are making their way on Twitter go counter to Billy Boy's narrative. They go counter to Billy Boy's preferred narrative. That's why there's this study by the CAAD. Once you follow the money, these things have a tendency to become clearer as to why there's so much crying and whining about allowing more information and ideas to be circulated. It's about narrative control, plain and simple. Who has the money? What narrative do they want to perpetuate? Let's find a, an organization that we can hijack with a bunch of money and perpetuate that narrative. That's what's going on here. So it's not, it's not about misinformation. It's about what's the narrative of the elite that they want to purport in order to control the population, plain and simple. All right, before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can catch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. We always have the chats going. We love to engage you all in the chats. We get a, a bunch of great comments and questions in the chat. So join us live, 7 p.m. Central, for Laughs and Liberty uh, Tom, with Tom and I. All right, friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 